Football is a game of aesthetics. It's all about what does it look like? Football is a game of tradition. The man who wins the penalty can't take it. <laughs> Football is a game of passion. Oh, bollocks, Villa have scored. And that is why we love it. Fuck me, why is this stupid game back? I think that was a real low point for me in my life. It's time to turn the volume down. Goals scored by new signings are the only ones that count. Penalties don't count. And Mamoru Saku having an absolute howler. That doesn't count either. The worst 90 minutes of football in Premier League history. He's a fraud. Sedan's a fraud. Everyone's favourite statistical fraud. Brendan Rodgers. All about the aesthetics, that's what Absolutely. we like to see. That is just a bit of stat padding. Individual sport masquerading as a team game. Look at his Instagram, he's the ultimate beta male. BBC Sport decided to advertise their TikTok account. Yuck. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better than that. Hello and welcome to Under the Floodlights this week on the show. Manchester United fans ruined my bank holiday weekend by getting their game against Liverpool postponed. Get ready for some Mason Mount propaganda after another good week for Chelsea keeps their top four in Champions League final hopes alive. With the title all but sewn up, Manchester City field the... B team in their win over Crystal Palace. How's Tottenham's search for a new manager going? Should Coutinho consider joining Everton this summer? And is Gareth Bale actually good again or was his hat-trick just a one-off against relegated Sheffield? My name's Darren Scott and I'm talking with Billy Hutchison, Christopher Ungham. Boys, happy bank holiday weekend. Yeah, I, I, I've i had quite a strange day today. Um, shout out to Nando's and Nicola Sturgeon um, <laughs> that I haven't uh, really seen the chaos and bedlam that has erupted in Manchester, so I'm looking forward to getting into it uh, with you. Just on a different point, uh, other chicken shops and politicians are available. <laughs> Bailey, how are you? Uh, yeah, as, as Chris says that, meanwhile, I'm busy uh, preparing for my interview as Spurs manager because they've <laughs> made it that far down the shortlist that yeah, I'm the only person who hasn't said no. <laughs> yeah, there's really an argument that says they're probably better off just cutting out all the fuss here and just giving it the Eddie Howe, save themselves the trouble. <laughs> um, anyway, listen, the, the obvious um, starting point for us this week um, on, on this podcast that talks about football is uh, about football that was not played. And that was at um, Old Trafford, <laughs> Liverpool were set to play Manchester United uh, at 4.30 on Sunday the 2nd of May. Uh, at around, I think, half two, three o'clock, um, Manchester United fans had planned a protest before the game uh, to protest their anger with the Manchester United ownership. Um, during this protest, they were outside the stadium. Then they seemed to quite easily and worryingly easily uh, breach the defences of Old Trafford and they were running around on the pitch for a while. Then police got them out and there was also talk that they were held up outside the, the United Hotel um, where the players were staying. It just all seemed a bit of a mess. Everyone was in limbo for a couple of hours. Sky Sports had to filibuster on television and try and <laughs> fill content. Can't wait uh, to get into that. And then eventually, a couple of hours later, they cancelled the game entirely. Um, the quiet end of the season continues, boys. Yeah, I just want to confirm with the listeners, Darren, can can you confirm that um, for the game today, you turned down 18 holes in the links? Yes. Uh, I can confirm that I turned down a 1.30pm tea time uh, on the golf course because I thought that I would not have enough time to play those 18 holes and make it back in time for the Liverpool-Manchester United game. So I turned down that round of golf. Excellent. Uh, you can imagine then my frustration when mm. I found out that the Manchester United versus Liverpool game was cancelled. So there's a lot of things I can forgive in this world, Christopher, but Manchester United fans probably have gone a bridge too far to um, <laughs> Yes, that is by Bank Holiday Weekend ruined. Great job. Great job by all the United fans not realising the havoc they've caused outside of what they did. 
because it's one thing to get on the pitch, you know, protesting, but yeah, they've ruined a weekend of yourself, and they've also ruined whoever codes fantasy football, <laughs> because every player up and down the country has just seen their, like teams of Fernandez's and Salas and Alexander-Arnold's <laughs> out the window. These people need to realise there's serious money on the line at this time of year <laughs> in fantasy football leagues, and this is unacceptable because I could lose out here because of them. Um, and obviously, with the, the the main issues with this uh, properly addressed, there, uh, what do we actually <laughs> think of the goings on um, on Sunday? Well, I I mean, I was in I was in the car earlier, and and uh, I, I mean, I immediately heard heard someone doing the phone ins about um, well, someone must have let them in. Uh, you know, some, <laughs> someone's on the inside here. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it could be, it could have just been that the security w- was overwhelmed, but I mean, there obviously has to have been some level of orchestration for this to happen. And uh, I was fascinated by um, what I did see of Gary Neville and Jimmy Carragher's live on air pivoting and reaction to this. And I'm also informed that they even like tried to speak with them or reason with the the fans who were there but i think at the end of the day the real content came from the the spew of twitter videos of things like people getting fired off goal the goals by people kicking balls and nets <laughs> and all that kind of stuff so good day all around for for uh to make sure the glazers and edward word etc um stop ruining manchester united and uh and and good day all around mm. No, I think, yeah, it's one of those, I think, from what we've seen previous weeks, I think Arsenal so far, like, huge credit to Arsenal. The way Arsenal fans went about their protest was by far the best I've seen. They went there, huge numbers, massive turnout, very peaceful, went home, had made their point. United fans, yeah, I think whenever you get on the pitch, that's a step too far for me, I'll be honest. I think it looks it looks great to see, you know, them all getting involved outside, couple of smoke forms, you know, the, the green and yellow colourway, I thought all looked great, but as soon as that spills on to the Old Trafford turf, yeah, it's a step too far. And it's one of those, it is, it's purely, I think, the issue has been stewarding. I imagine Sunday afternoon, Bank Holiday weekend, they think only Sky pundits and commentators are going to be in there. They're not expecting thousands of fans to descend upon the sta- stadium. No. And then, yeah, as Chris, as, as you say, once once they get on the pitch, it was one of those, because obviously the Glazers aren't there, the only people that were in the ground at the time were the Sky Pundits. It was kind of a situation of, what do we do now? You know, they kind of got on the pitch. They all got a couple of photos, scored a couple of goals, sort of like their Instagrams. And then it was kind of like, great, what now? We actually want to see a game of football here. What do we do? It's interesting that you say that, you know, now that they say we want to see a game of football, because I think there was some suggestion that the the idea behind this was to get the game postponed to send a message. Um, and I think we just need to be careful in the way that we talk about this, because I get, you know, in theory, a bunch of Manchester United fans all storming the pitch, kicking a ball around with each other. You know, it sounds jovial. Um Obviously, listen. There's unconfirmed reports going around about how the you know cars near the the stadium had been overturned. There was talk of some police officers getting injured as well, and I think we just need to be slightly careful because, in any sense, I mean, there was laws broken. Um, mm. In that, as soon as Manchester United, mm-hmm. you talk about them stepping onto the pitch and that being a step too far for you, Billy. The, the moment they breach Old Trafford, that is trespassing. Um, 
And, and that's if you take away, if there's no other violence or anything, at bare minimum, that's trespassing and that's breaking the law. So I think we need to be careful. Am I sympathetic to the why of what they did? Yes, I understand it to a certain extent. I still think, I think you have, I mean, you have to say this got out of hand and this went far too far. And I think there will be punishments handed out to Manchester United Football Club in some way, mm. shape or form because of this. Well, that's because, the interesting thing, Darren. And yeah. it puts the Premier League in a very interesting spot because how they deal with this is kind of going to set a precedent that, you know, fans, I think, in the last couple of weeks have started to realise the power that they have in the game mm. and, and the voice that they have. And whilst that's great, it's the same thing that if they take it too far, just like if owners take things too far, bad stuff can begin to happen. So I think people just need to be slightly careful of where we're going with this um mm. and whilst i'm all on board for making some jokes about united fans going and kicking a ball around old trafford and different things at the end of the day you know this game will have been abandoned for safety concerns and that mm-hmm. is a problem yeah i think the, the one person i felt about wick for especially this afternoon was donny van de beek because <laughs> for whatever reason i've seen his name trending on twitter i thought maybe in the starting lineup no 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 it was just the fact that everyone was making the same joke that these people had spent more time on the pitch this season than Donny in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> I see that. But I do completely. Like, once they come <laughs> past the barriers, it is just like, yeah, come on. Well, I, things, I, things I, have been broken here. Premier League will. I'll be amazed at what the Premier League do here because, yeah, as you say, a fixture's been postponed in an already like, hectic schedule this month. Like this puts Liverpool at a big disadvantage, I think, as well. United are kind of safe where they are. I don't see the game being played anytime in the next couple of days because United have a game Thursday night, mm-hmm. so it's just going to be dead interesting to see, like how, yeah, what punishments put out the Man United. But usually, I, in, these fans won't care. I don't think. Usually but, in um, non-COVID times, this would be the type of thing that you would say okay, you got to play your next couple of games behind closed doors and you'd lose out in the ticket revenue. But obviously that's not a punishment at the moment because what, that's what everyone yeah, has to do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so I support a club that in recent history has done this, uh, where I do remember in 2018, at the height of the worst toxicity of relationship between the West Ham fans and the board, we were losing at home to Burnley and the fans decided to invade the pitch yeah. Um, and they were charged, they weren't deducted points, uh, and there was no kind of, I don't think there was a supporter ban or anything, but, so that's kind of the, the most recent precedent, but I do have to say, I mean, I found Sky's role in all this very interesting, because as you were saying, Darren, they obviously then had to filibuster, had to hmm. pass the time, and they had Michael Richards, Roy Keane, <laughs> first of all, the fact they had Soonish and Roy Keane in was, was great to begin with, yeah. um, but then we also had like, it then descended into like how they kind of viewed this relationship, and I thought Graham Soonish in particular was quite interesting in his reluctance to kind of see where they were coming from, that kind of thing considering the fact that when he was manager of Galatasaray, uh, he <laughs> decided during what is literally known as one of the most heated, massive rivalries in football between Fenerbahce and Galatasaray in Turkey, he put a flag in the middle of the pitch after they just beaten <laughs> Fenerbahce, um, stoking huge uh, anger and reaction. So it was interesting that he didn't have much sympathy for it. Yeah, I thought Sky were interesting. Um, and I want to caveat this by saying... They were obviously reporting on this live as it was happening. They were getting new information through over and over and over again. For me, 
now knowing what the outcome was and the suggestions that this perhaps wasn't as peaceful as they originally thought it was, Guy Neville did a lot of condoning that I think in well, hindsight doesn't mm. look great. Well, Gary mm. Gary also told fans to mobilise the other week. So Gary's <laughs> as, like... It's a bit Trump-like, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, well, he, pro- well, he probably didn't imagine this, to be honest, but he imagined something. I mean, yeah, he, yeah he's, he still condones something, at least, to be fair. At least Gary says something. I've criticised him a bit. At least he says something like Mika Richards, who has no backbone whatsoever, <laughs> because they were asking about owners, and Mika goes, oh, well, I can't criticise because I'm a club ambassador. What are you doing sitting here as a pundit then? What, Roy, Roy Keane and Gary Neville are the de facto ambassadors for Manchester United. <laughs> you know, I was, I, yeah, well, wasn't a fan of that at all. From oh, Micah, but yeah, it's it's not where does where's this go? Because you know every, we need to find a solution. Gary keeps harping on about his independent regulator, and I don't see how that can be done because an independent regulator is going to have to come in and regulate ninety two clubs. That's a hell of a ninety two clubs with ninety two egos at the top of them. I think it's a serious amount of work. I've tried to look in the German model of this 50 plus oh, one. Wow. I don't think that works either because I've been reading into that. Obviously, fans are going to have to buy into that in the first place and these clubs are hugely valuable. So I don't see it working. But also, from what I've seen and what I've read is that these models, the entire thought process behind it is you vote for a club president. But we see with clubs like Bayern, Real and Barca, those presidential races aren't great. Like, the same people win yeah. over and over again. Like, it's actually tough to get a second candidate in. Anytime there is a vote, the other candidate just seems to be some fall guy who's going to be in there just because they know he's going to lose. And that's why I said earlier to you guys that said about how Chelsea fans own the pitch. And the idea behind it years ago, whenever it was set up, was this was a way to make the club money whenever Chelsea were going bust. But it's led to an interesting situation now where because Chelsea fans own the pitch and own the brand Chelsea, if Roman Abramovich ever makes wants to make a decision, he has to go to Chelsea pitch owners. He every at the start of every season he has to go to the pitch owners, pay them a small fee and go, Can I use the pitch? Can I use that name? And they'll go, Yeah, okay, because there's no issues at the moment. But likes of whenever Abramovich wanted to move to Battersea for a bigger stadium, the Chelsea fans can just go, No. Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you want to move there, you can, but you have to set up a pre-evolution style club called London Blues <laughs> and do it that way. And I think that's a solution that no one really seems to be bringing up. And I think it's one of those because I see it working for my club. And again, Roman Bromwich is generally popular amongst Chelsea fans. Like we know what way our bread's buttered with the guy. That we don't really have issues, and a lot of the powers that the pitch owners have don't really need to be used. But I think more people need to start looking at that as a possible way forward out of this. But Chelsea signed up to the European Super League. Yes, but this is the thing. He didn't tell them at the time, but the thing that was going to come out of that was if that was going to continue, Chelsea, that pitch owners needs to know about every legal binding document which went behind the backs and Chelsea fans and the owners, pitch owners that week were ready to put through motions to say, okay, if you want to go ahead, do it, but you cannot use this pitch and you're no longer Chelsea. And that's what was the interesting thing that would have happened in the weeks after, had that lasted any longer than 48 hours. Mm. 
I don't know. I think it's an interesting one because nobody had any issue with the way Premier League football clubs were run until three weeks ago. Uh, I well, I, I, I don't think that's true in our club, but uh, no, but, but like you can, I, I know you what you mean. Not like I know owners, what you mean. But there was not this wide scale appeal for reform. Well, I think part of that is, I think it has been... It's always bubbling though, Darren. It's been bubbling at Man United for years. Yeah, to be fair to Man United fans, there was, I can't remember which year the cup final was, but I remember like half of Wembley, I think it might be the League Cup, but half of Wembley was wearing those green and yellow scarves. And anytime you go to Old Trafford, they're always out and has been the case for years. But I think part of it is to do with the fact fans aren't actually allowed in the stadium. I think whenever they're actually allowed in the stadium, you can you can hear the disapproval through songs and through banners. I think it, it would have been the massive. reason for this is because people can't get in to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just the United fans protest. Are they wanting the type of thing that Chelsea have, or do they just want different owners? Because I kind of get the impression that if somebody bought the club who weren't the Glazers that they're happy with, then they're happy with the structure to remain the way it is. They just want people they like more owning it, you know? I think that's what it is, I think. From what I understand about the whole thing is whenever the Glazers came in, this again, this is just briefly reading into it and like some stuff I know about United. When these guys came in and bought the club, they bought the club using a loan and have never... Yeah, that, that's that's the problem. Yeah, They've yeah. never used their own money to fund transfers. They've always yes. used the commercial side of Man United, which is obviously mm-hmm. huge. Man United's a massive brand like serious amount of money coming in the turnstiles every week. So the issue there where United fans have the issue is they're not putting any money in. But if you're a shareholder of Man United, you get a dividend every year. So they're technically taking money out via that dividend. Yes. Mm. And then the commercial side of it is the one that's paying for the transfers of Pogba, Lukaku, Fred. Mm-hmm. Because again, on that side of it, because in my head earlier, I was like, why do they actually hate the Glazers? Because... In my head, I was going, in recent years, United have beat City to the signings of Fred, Alexis Sanchez, Harry Maguire, you know. they're So they're beating Man City on all those fronts. They're also signing like big players like Juan Pesac, they've done the Lukaku's, mm-hmm. the Pogba's. But it does, it goes back to that thing of they never really bought the club with their own money and haven't yeah. invested in the way Sheikh Mansour has and Abramovich has. They have mm-hmm. just used it as a way to get a dividend every year and a nice income. Because, Darren, it's an interesting point that you raise because there's not going to be many Man City fans that are going to be protesting against Sheikh Mansour running Man City. Yeah. Winning the Premier League five times, probably, after the next couple of weeks. Whereas Arsenal, United, it's a bit different because United haven't won the league since Alex Ferguson was there. You know, that kind of stuff. Hmm. So there's definitely an element of context, but the same kind of principle applies of like other clubs are frustrated and annoyed at people like Man City signing up to the Super League and that kind of thing. But th- th- there's an element of truth in what you're saying too. But I, I do think though it is, it's been bubbling under the surface more than people realise possibly because they're not in the stadium and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think it's fair. Uh, it's just interesting. I think, you know, the problem, not the problem, but I think just the, the challenge with if you're going to change the way football clubs are owned is is finding something that, that everyone's happy with. Because obviously you do have some clubs who are perfectly happy with their ownership the way that it currently is um, and other clubs that don't. So I think you know, you're know you always going to get different opinions and there probably isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all approach that you can just say to every team in English football, okay, you now need to 
you know, move to this sort of model over the next five, ten, whatever years. Um, I think that's probably going to be the biggest challenge that they have. Mm-hmm. Everyone just needs their own Russian or oligarch. That's what I would uh, say. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and let's not forget as well, the biggest worry at the moment um, with that, uh, there's going to be another game that needs to be played, which means this Premier League season could go on another week longer. <laughs> Fantastic. <sighs> Nobody wants that. Anyway, um, moving away slightly, uh, we are going to get into some of the um, matches in a little bit, but something we did want to talk about. I think we mentioned this in an intro where it was on the agenda for us to talk about a couple of weeks ago, and then for time and purposes, it didn't really fit. But uh, the Premier League have announced a Hall of Fame system. Uh, Now, truthfully, I don't know the most about this. Bailey, I think you have some information on this, but it's, am I right in understanding that they announced their first inductees into this Hall of Fame this week? Absolutely true. So the Premier League Hall of Fame has been announced and the first two inductees have been uh, Alan Shearer and Terry Henry. Why be interesting? Just pick the top two goal scorers and oh, that will do. But anyway, uh, there is a selection criteria, interestingly enough, because I was quite worried this would get to be like the NFL, NBA and Baseball Hall of Fames do just seem to be everyone and anyone. And that's what I kind of wanted with the Premier League one. Like I wanted like Morton Gams Pettersons, you know, those like streets will never forget type players. I wanted I wanted the Hall of Fame to be like him. I wanted Michu in there. Papa Cisse. I wanted that kind of character in there. Fantastic. But there isn't there is an actual selection criteria. So there is, and it's like uh, it says here, players must have made a minimum 250 Premier League appearances unless they've achieved uh, any of the following milestones. Uh, made a minimum of 200 league appearances for one club, been selected to any of the Premier League team of the decade or 20-year anniversary teams, won a golden boot or golden glove, been voted as player of the season, won three Premier League titles, or scored 100 Premier League goals, or recorded 100 Premier League clean sheets if you're a goalkeeper. Oh, excellent. So it's... no, at least anyone there. left in that <laughs> <laughs> so at least then there you have the 250 appearances it's like a half decent cutoff but the way this is going to be done in the future so they I don't know who they are whenever I say they but the Premier League have decided that Sheer and Henri would be the first ones in but interestingly now fans are getting a vote mm. on who oh. the next crop are now there are, uh, I'm trying to look here, I think it's 23 names here and on, on the website you're allowed to select six players to join. And so the other names are here, Tony Adams, Beckham, Bergkamp, Sol Campbell, uh, Cantona, Andy Cole, Ashley Cole, Drogba, Les Ferdinand, Rio Ferdinand, Fowler, Gerrard, Keane, uh, Lampard, uh, Matt Letizier has made it on there. Oh, uh, hasn't been cancelled. <laughs> Michael Owen, Schmeichel, Paul Scholes, John Terry, Robin Van Persie, Nemanja Vidic, Vieira, and Ian Wright. So what fans are able to do now is pick six of them at any one time and put in your vote. Now what I find interesting about this, and this is where I think it's very dangerous, is Liverpool and Arsenal fans are well known, like around the globe, for being great at voting for players. Like Lucas Leva <laughs> is definitely getting into the Hall of Fame for letting fans <laughs> vote on this like this is a dangerous precedent because i think like gary neville get the independent regulator in for <laughs> for who can hit the hall of fame because i do worry about the cast of characters that liverpool football club are going to put into this yeah lucas Leva's top of my list 
<laughs> See, <laughs> we are Liverpool fans as a community like to get around the boys. <laughs> Absolutely, well, I, mean, my, I was like that guy made a Serie A team of the year because Liverpool. Uh, he was Lazio player of the season, <laughs> fans player of the season, three years in a row. <laughs> he, he he honestly was not a good player, but you see, see, but my issue is, Billy, I'm looking at this list; they're all going to be in it, and not, yeah, like, none of I the wonder. players on that list do not not deserve to be in yeah. the Premier League Hall of Fame. They were all the best players in the Premier League. So, is yeah. it a case that, so say, you know, six of these guys are put forward? Does that mean that next year it's just another six of them? Yeah, I think it's just another six of them until that crop of city players start retiring. So that's that's one of the criteria where you have to be officially out of the game because at the minute you're obviously yes, it's gone none of this lot being near Man City, but obviously at some point Vincent Company and Sergio Aguero are going to hit this yes. list. Yeah, yeah. So it is just this thing of how many years can this list go on for before we can start adding that city group to it, yeah. and before we start adding those banter players that I've talked about getting in there. I, I want I want Yannick Balassi on this as soon as possible. Like for really specific reasons as well, which are like extrapolated in the in the ceremony. Mm, absolutely. Because I, I wonder at what stage it like goes even further because in I know like uh, in American sports coaches can get inducted into the Hall of Fame, which is an interesting one because obviously a lot of coaches don't like to retire in English football. Neil Warnock will be managing until his deathbed. So it'll be interesting because that's that's one of those like Alex Ferguson will obviously get in at one stage. Mourinho probably will. But then I wonder at what stage does that get to referees? You know, <laughs> what stage what stage is Mike Dean looking at this being like, here, I'm first ballot Hall yeah. of Famer. The amount of yellow cards I've handed out. I don't know if uh, either of you caught it though on this that it's very American and there was a TV program on Sky Sports News about this and Tim Sherwood stole the show. Sorry, sorry, what was the program? It was just it was the two of them sat in the studio, Shearer and Henri, uh, with a presenter. Oh, right, their, right, right. Talking about their careers and, you know, had, had a couple of ex teammates come in, you know, and tell a few stories. And Tim Sherwood like milked his moment, something shocking. Tim Sherwood's clearly looking a job at the moment. I assume he made a made a big deal of the fact that he captained Blackburn to winning the Premier League or something along well, those lines. Yeah, he, he did mention that and did let <laughs> Alan know that Alan reported into him. But he also made it clear uh, that he's only seen one player work harder than Alan in his career, and that was the time whenever he introduced Harry Kane to the world at Tottenham. And he kept bringing up the fact. <laughs> about how he was the one to bring Harry Kane through and how similar <laughs> Harry is the Alan. It's like, Tim, this is about Alan Shearer and his Hall of Fame career right now. <laughs> Not you trying to get a job and play four four two terrorist ball somewhere. You know? <laughs> it was it was hilarious to watch him do it, I'll be honest. Mm. So it was it was Henri and Shearer, was it? Henri and Shearer, the first two, and then uh, voting closes on the 9th of May, I believe, for the next six. So, of course, I've already done my vote and put the four Chelsea boys in. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, I don't think I'll be voting because it's one of these things. It again just strikes me as like, oh, it's new, so it means nothing. It's like kind right. of the same thought I had with the European Super League. It's like, oh, I, I, I like, should anyone care? Oh, well, you can't tell me that Alan Shearer and Terry Henry didn't want 
uh, a customised EA Sports Nike shirt framed to say that they're in the Hall of Fame. Say yeah, that's not going to be above the fireplace, is it? Yeah, I mean, that's... Thierry Henry definitely does not care about that. <laughs> um, do you just want to talk about some football that was played? Oh, we, I, um, we should talk about football, yeah. We probably yeah. should. Um, <laughs> Chelsea have had a good week, um, obviously drawn with, with Real Madrid in the Champions League, but then taking a good step towards a, a top four place um, with a 2-0 win over Fulham, um, who are now really looking like they're they're running out of games at the bottom. Mm. Um Chelsea were very good, in particular Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. The two of them were, were very strong. Bailey, I'm sure you couldn't be happier with the way this Chelsea team's progressing at the moment. Honestly, see, see to see this team and the way Mason Mount has kicked on since Daddy Frank left. Unbelievable. The touch and the, the assist for that first goal was out of this world. Absolutely. Uh, it was. Fantastic. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, he's the luckiest man in the world that when he looked up, it was yeah. Kai Havertz running through and oh, right. not Timo Werner. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. We wouldn't be talking about this at all if it was Timo because Timo needs 100 chances to get one. Now, I was actually surprised Kai put it in because... <laughs> he's looked at Kai now. He's caught a bit of form ever since my social media boycott of him. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I've noticed about Kai Havertz is I think he's a fantastic footballer. I think everything he does looks lovely, but there's there's nothing angry. There's nothing aggressive. I've never seen this guy mm. hit a ball hard. Everything's very gentle. Even, both goals were just nicely placed underneath the keeper or around the keeper. Mm. I want to see this guy like put his laces through a football just to see what would happen. Is there a reason why he's not doing it? Is it just a character thing? Like, can someone like this guy has no chip on his shoulder at all? He needs just that edge, I think. Yeah, he, you know, he's a classy guy. He wants everything to look kind of silky and smooth. I think that's just his persona, really, when he gets out there. Absolutely. Like even even for his second goal, his touch on the right hand side and just the way he kind of glided past the Fulham defender, it's just so easy looking. Mm. We all love Scott Parker on this podcast. We yeah. love how he's managed film, and he's done a great job in getting them promoted after he was part of that ridiculous season where they had Ranieri in for about six weeks <laughs> yeah. um, and went down. Um, but I, I have to say, like it was brought up by a couple of the pundits, I do think that they have kind of hindered themselves unnecessarily. Alexander Mitrovic has barely played this season, and I, I don't really understand. I, I, like, I think I think the goalkeeper is brilliant. I think the fullbacks are really good. Samuel and Gisa and Lamina, Harrison Reed, really good, um, you know, defensive structure on the line. You got Lukman Reed, but like they've absolutely no way. There's no focal point to score goals. Like they just like I don't understand. Like Mitrovic is one of these rare players still remaining who's actually a striker. Like he, he's, <laughs> he's chosen to play Cavallero up front most of the season instead of Mitrovic. I just think like I don't understand why they would. Like why they put themselves through that and don't give them the chance to to, to score? Well, I think they need more players like Bobby Cadova Reid. Um, I think when yeah. you're down the bottom end of the table, you need players who can think a little bit differently, who can do something that that you don't expect them to do. And that's exactly what I saw Reid do this weekend when Fulham had a corner and he decided to try and undo Mendy's gloves. What? All-time better work. No, he, I was no, he such unbelievable, unbelievable presence of mind. As the ball's coming in, he's trying to rip the Velcro bit off the gloves. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't see that. It's no, next level. 
yeah, you can tell this guy spent years under Warnock. Like, like that, was definitely <laughs> going that was definitely a training session. Part of or wherever it was. Yes. A few more players. Up. A few more players with his sort of mindset. They might not be in this mess. Yeah. I have to say, you know, I I know for the first however many episodes of this podcast, I, I said that they were down, and then they I, were horrendous, and, and yeah. then I changed my tune a little bit partway through the year when they were weaponizing COVID. But they're defending for the second Chelsea goal is nothing short of embarrassing. No, five I, Fulham I, yeah. players against just Werner and Havertz. Not a single person goes with Kai Havertz who makes the run and it's an easy finish for him. You deserve everything you get no, if you're going to yeah. defend like that. No, absolutely, Darren. But I would say, like, I do think, like, the because if you remember at the start of the season, they, be, they had two totally different centre-backs playing for the first four, five games. And since then, Anderson and, and Adarabayo or Tosin. Did you notice halfway through the season he actually changed his shirt name to Tosin as well? The <laughs> ease um, of Martin Tyler, I'm sure. <laughs> um, like they've actually given him the chance to stay up because if they hadn't come mm. in, then they would have had no chance. Like that wasn't great for that goal, but I, I do. I, I actually think I think the goalkeeper Ariola is really good. Yeah, he's like, really good. Like really like. Top level goalkeeper. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be Fulham. Like I, yeah. I think as well. Full credit to Fulham because after I think it was the first six games, this lot were down. Like yes, like, like we shouldn't, we shouldn't be talking about Fulham at this stage of the season. The way they played after the first six, no. they were atrocious. And to be fair to Scott Parker, I think the way he set a team up was yeah. There's there's not a great deal of there's not a lot of technical players in this team. They're just a big physical side. I don't think there's a player other than Bobby Reid in this side who's under six foot. They're just a well, look, big mate, yeah. lad. You know, and like, whoever, what, Lamina in midfield tortured Billy Gilmore on Saturday night. Like, it was horrible. I, that's watch. unfair, that. Yeah. A 19-year-old wee Scottish lad up against Lamina, who <laughs> was Lamina the lad who was, who was was it him at Southampton who was trying to get a move and posted his own highlights package on Twitter? Yes, and he went to Italy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm waiting on that just to watch like six minutes of him walking by Billy Gilmore. That's inevitably <laughs> going to be made in the YouTube video this summer by his agent. Yeah, big lad. Um, do we think now for Lamar down? Are we holding out any hope? Um. I mean, if, if they win the last four games, they've got a chance, but that's obviously very unlikely. So, um, yeah. And no. at the other end, Chelsea top four gap starting to widen a little bit. West Ham uh, haven't played yet. Yeah, neither have Liverpool, but I'm not holding out any hope. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spurs have, have leapfrogged us now. They're 56, we're 55. Chelsea are in 61. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's, it's an um, interesting. Like yeah. final few fixtures here for Chelsea. Chelsea play City, Arsenal, Leicester, and Villa. Oh, oh, you play Leicester. Leicester yeah, dropped f- points this weekend as well. Yeah. So if Chelsea can beat Leicester, it'll make it very interesting. The City game is a bit rough. Yeah, it's there's, it's still all to play for at the minute. Like as a Chelsea fan, as Chelsea players, this is what you want. They're going the May with like nine games where every single one of them is massive. Like at least, like whenever it hit like March, there and you're watching ten games in a month, and they all mean nothing. It's like I can't wait for the season to be over. At least this month, it's like every game is huge. What you live for? Must be nice. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about runaway leaders, Man City, very quickly? Um, 
played a fairly uninteresting game against Crystal Palace where they won 2-0. Uh, the, the most interesting thing about it being that Pep made uh, eight changes from the team that beat Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League during the week. <laughs> the only three players to play in both games were Rodri, Cancelo and Ederson. And the team that he named to play Palace, which would have been his quote-unquote B team, was made up of Ederson and goals, Mendy at left-back, Ake and Laporte at centre-back, Cancelo at right-back, Rodri and Fernandinho in midfield with Raheem Sterling and Ferran Torres, and then Aguero and Jesus up front. That is a pretty good B team. I, it does worth saying, Darren, that the only sub he made in the whole game was bringing on Zinchenko for Fernandinho. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean that like Sergio Aguero. I mean, I have to have to take my hat off. That was a phenomenal performance for how like um, how much he's been out this season, um, and I think it just kind of cements his um, status as being one of the all-time best probably strikers in the game. Whole to be thing. honest, um, but do, do you think that Gabriel Jesus has not developed to the level that they kind of intended? I think it's just so tough. Um, obviously, playing behind Aguero for a number of years, like it's so hard to displace that guy. And then this season, due to a number of different factors with injuries, that you know they're now not playing a striker and they're playing as good as yeah. probably they've played in a few years um, with with De Bruyne, I think, sort of just floating around kind of up front, but not really playing as an out-and-out striker. Um, so I think that Jesus' biggest problem is is that sort of just Man City factor of just you're surrounded by a bunch of good players and it's really yeah. hard to get into that team. I mean, to be fair to him, he's already scored like 50 Premier League goals. <laughs> it's, yeah. This, sorry, shoot. Why? My, my thing with City is City should have won the Premier League every single season for the past 10 years. This is always the know. best squad ever assembled. They spend yeah. £100 million every year on two defenders. And this weekend we said, like, you're just chucking Nathan Aki in there on any random weekend. You can go rest Ruben Diaz and play Laporte. You can, John Stones is lying on the bench, you know. It's some crack. Like, it isn't fair at times, especially in a COVID year where you're playing games every three days, you know, and there, there's squads out there who are probably, yes, you have 23-man squads, but there's teams out there where realistically 15 or 16 players are playing every single game. Meanwhile, Man City are just going out with two separate 11s from a PSG semi-final this Saturday against Palace here done. Yeah. It's yeah. madness. <clears throat> it's interesting as well. I mean, something <clears throat> that, that I know I've talked about on this show before is Ferran Torres, and I've said in the past that <laughs> I, I, I know absolutely nothing about the guy, but I can say that he's probably pretty good. Um, but this game actually gave me a little bit of insight into Ferran Torres. Because he's a good player. We've often said that the way a player uh, reacts to scoring a goal really gives you a good barometer of what they're like as a player. Mm. You know, if they celebrate quite nonchalantly, you know they do this all the time and this means nothing to them. Ferran Torres celebrated his goal far too much for somebody who plays on a team 13 points clear in this league. It wasn't even a particularly good goal. It's a shot from the edge of the box that truthfully goes in the middle of the net. It's poor goalkeeping by Gaida, to be completely honest. And he's flailing the arms around. It's reckless. It's wild. It's out of control. That tells me he's not actually that good a player. And that's probably why he hasn't yeah. broken into the A team. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I also just, just to touch on as well, I mean, have you ever seen a team more in need of a serious clearing out than Crystal Palace? Scott Palmer's I mean, at centre-back. Yeah, I mean, like, 
it's, it looks like Roy's leaving at the end of the year. But I mean, I mean, Scott Scott Dan's going great. Um, they are just so. When was that? You know, Etse is the only new player they've had in about three seasons. Like it's they they are they need some serious overhaul mm-hmm. in the summer. The only thing Palace gives in the world of football is letting that uh, show Ted Lasso use their stadium. <laughs> Other than that, Palace mean nothing. They contribute nothing to wider football. But they're there every year. They're sort of in that middle area where you. <laughs> right, Hudson about, does the job. Yeah, yeah, you've seen it before. Like teams who are kind of mid table Premier League teams every year lower mid table and then they try to push on and they change things that they do and they end up actually going back down you kind of saw yeah. it with um, Swansea and Stoke you know completely went away from what they were doing and, and it didn't work out so you can understand them just sort of sticking with what they know um, a headline that I did want to talk about this week guys um, because it stood out to me for so many reasons mm-hmm. is uh, I saw a headline that said Everton remain confident on signing Philippe Coutinho now this, this I thought was so interesting from a Coutinho point of view. Now I understand he's had a rough time since he left Liverpool, uh, and he probably and I, I've chatted to Bailey about this offer. He probably doesn't have a huge number of options this summer. But I was wondering, what do you guys think? Should he go to Everton? Because on the one hand, you have Everton are an up and coming club. They've got Carlo Ancelotti managing. It's a real feel good factor about the players, Calvert Lewin, Richarlison. They're playing well. But on the flip side of things. You would continue, when I say you, I mean continue, would be abused every single day in daily life because he would be living in Liverpool <clears throat> playing forever. I, I, I am fascinated. He is one of the most bizarre careers I've ever seen. I mean, like, I, I don't think people really have realised the extent to which it's been bizarre. Like, to the point where, like, so we all, he didn't really kick on in Barcelona, even though he's won two league titles with Barcelona. Um, I, you know, he wasn't playing well or whatever. So he got loaned to Bayern Munich, who ostensibly were a much better team than <laughs> Barcelona. And as part of that agreement, was even able to play against Barcelona and put them out of the Champions League via his goal, and then go on to win the treble with Bayern Munich. To then go, just <laughs> to, then to go, clarify, Christopher, I believe that was in was that an eight-two victory that ruined <laughs> yes. potentially Bailey and me winning the greatest bet of all time. <laughs> Seven two. Billy and I Can't had a Billy and I had a bet on that Byron would win seven two, which was looking fantastic in the ninetieth minute until Coutinho <laughs> scored again to make it eight. It, it, it was an all time highlight. Um, Lost us a lot of cash. <laughs> so so bizarre. So he wins the treble with Bayern Munich, very unhappy, and then has to go back to Barcelona. Yeah, because they didn't want him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, but I mean, like, like not even like the Liverpool connection and the fact that he before he, when he was at Liverpool, he was one of the most talented players probably to play in the Premier League. Um, absolutely phenomenal player. But like, I don't think James Rodriguez, for example, I actually, I could be wrong. I don't actually think he's really justified the hype. You know, this season, I don't think he's really contributed. I, I don't think Richardson has it either. But I don't think, he, considering the career that he's had, a similar. Th- that kind of thing could happen with Coutinho where he doesn't actually push on that much let alone the links with Liverpool well, I, I think what you're saying on Ham is there's the entire reason why I think he should go because okay. Everton's the type of club where you don't need to be having a worldy week in week out as you say Ham is right. he's had some top games he's had a lot of quiet games he's missed a lot of games recently We'll still rave about him. Everton fans will still go on. Oh, he's been fantastic. He's probably been yeah. great one in every five or six games. 
And I think that's exactly at this moment what Coutinho probably needs. Just a club where he can go score a 35-yarder once every eight <laughs> weeks for that fan base. They absolutely love him and to go there. And I think there's no better manager in world football for him than Carlo Ancelotti. Right. Carlo will put the arm around him, tell him he's brilliant, tell him he looks great, all this nonsense. He's not gonna get he's not gonna get that sympathy anywhere else, not at any top club at this point. Yeah. It's either that or he needs to find himself uh he needs to sort himself out with Chupo Moding's agent. Just <laughs> sorts that guy out with the best moves in the history of football. Yeah, he is the most bizarre out of anyone. He, he is the most. He yeah. is um, Bailey. I completely agree with the point on on Carlo Ancelotti is probably the best man for Philippe Coutinho. But I I said this to you before. I just worry about you. He will be getting all this positive energy from Carlo, and when he's in work and in the workplace, everything will be so positive. But I just wonder, is that enough, given that as soon as he sets foot outside of the workplace, everything else in his wider life will be a nightmare? And I'm not condoning that. I don't think anyone should be abusing the guy. But the fact is, he is going to live in Liverpool. His family are going to live in Liverpool, and he will be playing for Everton. Every time they go to Tesco or anything, (laughs) they will be getting chirped by people every single time he goes outside. And I think that level of negativity would counteract anything good that Carlo can do. We all know Coutinho strikes us as, as the type of player who he'll play at Anfield next year for Everton and get booed and he'll be invisible and he'll be subbed off after 60 minutes. He does not strike me as a player with the sort of the, the mental capability to sort of fight through that abuse or that booing, that, that feeling of not being admired. And I just worry about wider life for him, the quality of life he has outside of football. I would worry for him if he came back to the city of Liverpool to play for Everton. I, I wonder, Darren, would they, would they? Like, because it's not the same as like Raheem Sterling going to Man City. No, and I suppose that that's maybe a good point in the the fact that he's gone to Everton tells you that his career hasn't gone the way that he thought yes. it would, and and there might be a sympathy there. But I think because if he had stayed at Liverpool, he would have won more. But you could understand that thought of you know Liverpool felt like he kind of you know threw the dirt back in the faces a little bit when he yes. pushed his way out to yeah. go to Barca in yeah, the first sure. place, and then sure. to come back. You know, people forget, you know, Coutinho would not have had any of the opportunities that he has had if he wasn't a Liverpool football right. club and he hadn't, you know, performed so well in, in that team. Um, I just, I, I think it would be such an interesting dynamic. It'd be bizarre. I, yeah. I, I just worry about life outside of football for him and the family. Mm-hmm. He'd be getting chirped. I wouldn't, I don't like to see that. <laughs> He's only 28. This guy's been around a while. Get yourself the evidence. Score a couple of worldies against Watford. It'd be grand. <laughs> uh, we'll see we'll see only time will tell um, something you guys you guys wanted to talk about very quickly before we go on to In the Mud was um, England strikers uh, who have thrown their name into the Euro squad um, I think Christopher you were saying the Euro squad is bigger now than previous years yeah they've expanded it to 26 rather than 23 um, so um, Craig Dawson's uh, probably perked his ears up at that well <laughs> uh, probably as is Nat Phillips and um <laughs> <laughs> Somebody that you were talking about, Bailey, before before we hit record, uh, Danny Welbeck with a goal today for Brighton that was just lovely. No, Danny no, Welbeck. D- hang on, hang on a second. We're not talking with Danny Welbeck for Brighton. <laughs> that guy. The commentator Welbeck. said he was rolling back the years, Chris. The, the guy has heard the news that there's three extra spots up for grabs and is <laughs> turning it on. And what a better club to be at. 
and the club here now fourth on expected goals <laughs> <laughs> up into the Champions League spots. And whenever he, whenever he's scoring goals like this, like if you're Southgate, you have to take him. Unbelievable! This <laughs> Danny Welbeck has scored about twenty goals in the past decade in the Premier League. Yeah, there but- is a there is sort of a bit of a you know every squirrel finds a nut. Type of, um, you know, if he does it again, then perhaps you know the conversation becomes a little bit more serious. But uh, currently, <laughs> I mean, England's here. Who have England got currently? Obviously, Harry Kane, Calvin, um, Rashford, Rashford, Greenwood, Grateful Greenwood, yeah, Dings. It's Calvary. it's an interesting one because I, I was listening to Southgate and he said about how there's a there's an, a knack to picking a twenty three because from what you hear, a, a Euro squad and a tournament squad is all about harmony and it's all it's not about mm. necessarily having the best 11 it's about having the best 23 and here are the characters that are going to lift the team up like in the downtime if you've lost a group game or whatever mm-hmm. so that's where there's a real knack to these extra three so you're having to look at calvert Lewin. is he a good lad who does he get on with the squad Watkins is a similar one mm-hmm. bamford's the same because oh. do you really want to come in there with six good strikers who are all wanting to kill each other to play for England and have that starting spot? Or do you just go for the strategy of, oh, we've the extra three, let's pick people who are good crack. Let's get Ben Foster in so he can do YouTube <laughs> vlogs and, and cycle around a bit. You know, Foster looks great crack. I imagine Foster is going to be, would be better crack than what a Bamford would be going in there at this time. Well, yeah, I mean, I- goalkeepers are a completely different discussion with England. They're not as 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 deep as we're saying they are with striker. They are not that deep at goalkeeper. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying there's so many strikers no. that at the end of the day you can only play one or two at a time. Yeah. So yeah. if you I, turn up yeah. the, this tournament with six, you're going to have two unhappy people at all times, really, because yeah. there's two of them going to know. Well, Harry's going to start anyway, and then we've X amount in front of us. You're going to have just two passengers. You may as well have like the Joker in the pack. Yeah, I, I don't think Bamford has any chance. I don't think T- Tammy Abraham has any chance. No. And I actually don't think Dings has much of a chance because of um, forming injuries. Um, because you've still got like Jane Sancho and then, you know, the kind of, you know, inside forwards like Raheem Sterling and stuff. You know, like there's not a lot of room past that, you know. Yeah, Raheem I'm Sterling's not exactly been in great form. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not, you're not going to leave Raheem Sterling. He left Trent out. Uh, you know, it, it, Harvey Barnes maybe has a chance uh, if he makes it back from injury. Um, we'll see. Ben Foster. Ben Foster. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bailey, do you want to move on? Who, who have we got in the mud this week? Oh, it's a cracker. It's uh, Mateo Kovacic this weekend. <laughs> strap in. So that, it is, that, that's yeah. stalwart for Chelsea. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I would strap Contributes in. Contributes lots. Uh, so this weekend, uh, everyone may have noticed their social media feeds being uh, a bit quieter than normal thanks to the oh. boycott. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I could even see where this is going already. <laughs> so, in a, in a statement, the Premier League said, social media companies must do more to stop online abuse. That's why this weekend, Premier League and our clubs will join with other leagues, governing bodies and organisations to boycott social media and demand change. So the Premier League and all clubs switched off Facebook, Twitter and Instagram across <laughs> the full fixture programme from Friday night, or from Friday at three o'clock, sorry, until Monday night at midnight. Uh, the league would also stop publishing highlights and stuff on the YouTube channels. Um, basically, what they're asking for here, and they've a list written out here, is the change they want to see. They want to see uh, blocking measures to stop abuse being sent or seen, 
accountability for safety on their platforms and protection of users by implementing effective verification, a warning message to be displayed if a user writes an abusive message and a requirement to enter personal data if they wish to see the message. He, uh, they also say platforms to have a robust, transparent and swift measures in place if abusive material is sent or posted. And to be honest, I've been very impressed with the league, the players, broadcasters, the whole lot, because they have actually stuck together on this. Like if right. you go on yeah. social media this weekend, it is completely barren. They've all gone in with a cause and we'll see if it works, but it's a good step to see them all going in with it together and all backing the same thing. Completely. But one man, one, one man in particular stood out this weekend, and it was Mateo Kovacic. Uh, on Friday before the boycott, all members of the Chelsea squad posted the same photo uh, that the club obviously provided, which was a Chelsea badge beside the words, no to hate, and the post of saying something needs to change. Not Mateo. Mateo posted a black and white photo of himself with a quote to say, enough is enough, and then I am joining the boycott. Now, gentlemen, would you like to guess when Mateo joined Twitter? Oh, no. I don't like how this is going. Fr- Friday Inter- afternoon. Yeah, well, international footballer who's won, I think, three Champions League at this point, joined Twitter last week. <laughs> joined so guy- Twitter to be able to boycott it? Yes. <laughs> the guy has signed up to this social media platform just to tell people he will not be using it. <laughs> it's completely defeated the purpose. Mateo, you were already silent. He told me oh, on his fantastic. Instagram that he was boycotting social media. He didn't need to create a social media account on one platform to tell me that he wasn't going to be using that fantastic. platform anymore. Brilliant. I love that. That's great. Brilliant. I, yeah, I want to know who like, got in his ear and said that this is a good idea. Whatever management team has told him to do this needs to sack. Mm, yeah, that is not good. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely like like a, a pro bono like PR company that he's he's had an ear in, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's been the thing of they've definitely not thought about because Twitter tells you the date people yeah. join on, and they've not thought of that point where it comes up. But Teo Kovacic, with I think at the time I saw it, he had three thousand followers, which again uh, for an international yeah. footballer, ten thousand now. Yeah, doesn't really add up. And then for no. it to say below, joined April 2021. I, th- I think the best part about it is, I'm just looking at it now, um, he follows 11 accounts, um, oh. which are the Croatian national team, Chelsea, and then every competition that Chelsea play in. <laughs> like the Premier League, the FA Cup, the Champions League, Euro 2020. Well, it's, yeah, it's good to see. He, he, he followed the important accounts before he decided that he was no longer going to use this platform this, <laughs> this platform that i've just joined is toxic <laughs> um obviously the the work that the, the premier league and all the clubs have been doing with this it's a great idea and it's great yeah it's a good 100 back it now oh, what right. i will yeah. say is it wasn't ideal for me personally that they chose to do it on the weekend where the liverpool united stuff kicked off because i'm desperately <laughs> yeah. trying to find out is this game going ahead and can get <laughs> i was no thinking updates, that actually was that was no happening. updates <laughs> on the internet for it <laughs> one one thing about all that because it's been like uh, english clubs and english fans kind of going on about it is that it left the only people talking about english football being americans and one thing I love, I should have brought this up earlier actually, about uh, the Glazers, is how the Glazers are viewed in America. Because three months ago, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, and they're obviously owned by the Glazers. Yeah, they so, brought Tom Brady in. 
Yeah, so a lot of American sports fans this afternoon were just like sending photos of the Glazers lifting a Lombardi trophy together <laughs> to wind up fans who weren't really there. So that was in the mud this week, Mateo Kovacic joining Twitter. Legend. Good stuff. Well, listen, boys, thank you very much for that today. Um, obviously, you know, we thought that the end of the season was going to be a bit of a drab affair with, with City coasting to the league and, and the teams at the bottom pretty much down. Um, and it, it just goes to show that, that, uh, that this podcast continues to write itself. There will always be content there. Absolutely. <laughs> Great uh, any any final words from the two of you guys? Uh, West Ham Burnley tomorrow. Not to those who are listening. Mm. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Yeah, this will be on Wednesday. Uh, Shout out to the Chelsea women's team who reached the uh, Women's Champions League Oh, yes, final I did, I did, oh, good I did see that. Yeah. Good Great stuff. effort from them. Uh, she she will the 100% be the first woman to manage uh, in, the, in the Football League. 100%. Well, hopefully not. I'd like Emma Hayes to hang around the Chelsea side. So. Well, indeed. Oh, well, good stuff. Go on, the girls. Uh, boys, thank you very much for being here, and thank you to everyone who's listened. We will, of course, be back next week.